This week is one of my favorite, favorite, favorites in the entire liturgical year and all of the church's prayer. Now you might say to me, Father, I was here about a month ago and you said that Christ the King was your favorite feast. I would say, I would respond with two points. One, I can have more than one favorite, that's fine. I have many favorites. Two, the Steelers really aren't doing it for me right now. They're quite poor, and so I need something to be excited about. And this is as good as any, so I hope you're, you can be excited about this as well. It's one of my favorites this week because the church prays and has as part of her liturgy something called the O Antiphons. There's seven antiphons that the church prays. You know the O Antiphons because they are the verses of the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That, that song that we sing, it's kind of a, a modern hymn version of something that is ancient in the tradition of the church. Why are they called the O Antiphons? Well, that word O, it's not to, meant to signify O, I left the oven on, or O, I forgot my keys, or something like that. It's O as in, desire. It's meant to verbalize the deep ache and the deep longing and the groan that the church makes this week out of desire for her Lord. It's meant to verbalize that. Second, they're the O antiphons because each of these antiphons has a title, a name under which she recognizes and sees the identity of the one She's looking for Jesus. So I'm going to go through a few of these titles of Jesus and what they mean and signify some of my favorites. The first, verse 2, O come, O come, wisdom from on high. Speaking about the creative wisdom that comes to create anew. If I ask my students, what is unique about God? What makes him God and me not God? They often respond, well, God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And I said, oh, fine. Okay, that's true as far as it goes. That's partially the case. He is all-powerful. That's true. But we can miss it. Maybe even more important, the attribute of God, a characteristic of God, is his wisdom that he guides and shapes everything. In fact, God's wisdom in his activity on earth is sort of like gravity. In the physical universe, there is nothing that is untouched by gravity. Everything is shaped, formed, moved, guided through the influence of gravity. Even though we can't see it, we can see its effects. So too, so too, God's wisdom guides, shapes, forms, moves and prepares everything. There's a sort of historical gravity. There's a sort of historical gravity with God's wisdom. He's been shaping history. Every event, every person, not just religious history, but every event and every person has been shaped and prepared for the coming of Jesus. Second, root of Jesse, this is verse four. You remember David, 
David was the son of Jesse. David put together this enormous kingdom. And best of all, under this kingdom, God could be worshipped and recognized and praised for his goodness. But this wonderful kingdom and all, it, all the prosperity it gave the Israelites did not last. After 400 years, they were completely wiped out by the Babylonians. If you'd picture with me a second, a forest that's been cut down, devoid of life, every tree cut to its stump, no flowers, no vegetation, no animals, no streams like there should be, but it's devoid of life and dark. That's an image, everyone. It's an image for how Israel felt having lost the kingdom of David and lost the, the descendants of Jesse, cut to a stump. The freedom, the religious prosperity, the safety, the worship that was offered to God in the temple under the kingdom of David, all that freedom and prosperity, gone, taken away, devoid, dark, lacking life. Second, that empty force, it's an image for how humanity sometimes experiences the world. Where's that beautiful teeming garden that I read about in the book of Genesis? Where are those flowing streams and the sort of relaxed atmosphere, the easiness with which Adam and Eve walked with God? Where is all that? I don't always experience that in this world. Everyone, where do we look for the new growth? Where, we, where do we look for the life of that previous life of paradise to come back? Where do we find the new growth in that deforested, empty wasteland? We look to the stump of Jesse. We look to the root of Jesse, the stem of Jesse for that new growth. Jesus literally... Literally, humanly, historically, the descendant of Jesse. That's to whom everyone who wants that life of God again. That's the one to whom they look. Third, the key of David, not the king of David. I often sing that because I screw up the song, but not the king, but the key. Jesus, the key of David. If you ever enter a building or institution, how do you know who's in charge? There's a really easy test. It's the guy who has the keys that opens all the doors. <laughs> That's why when the ushers before or after mass come ask me to open something, I hesitate and quickly realize I can't help them because I'm not in charge and I don't have every key. <laughs> just, just the one that can function. That's it. But in the scriptures, in the scriptures, this test is used too. The guy with the keys is the guy in charge. He's the guy who has an office to fulfill, a job to do, a duty to do. Like David in the Old Testament, Jesus has the keys. He's an office. He has a role and a unique role. There's a particular door that Jesus is to open that no one else can open, and that's the door of death. No one else in all of human history, no one else has the key for that door except Jesus. And it's his role, his duty, his office to be the key that lets prisoners stuck in death out and that opens the way to the gateway of heaven. 
Okay, last and my favorite, favorite, favorite of all the titles, Jesus is called O Orions. Jesus, Orions meaning the day star he's called here, or the dawn, or the light bringer. What day does the church proclaim and sing of her faith that the light, the Orions, the true light, the eternal light, the spiritual light, the unending, lasting light, on what days does the church proclaim her faith that Jesus is that light? December 21st, the winter solstice, literally the shortest and darkest day of the whole year. She reaffirms her faith in the light. On the winter solstice, December 21st, literally the shortest and darkest day of the whole year, the church reaffirms her hope. And she meditates on the unstoppable force that is the day star, the sun. And she meditates on the reliability, the consistency of the dawn. And as she thinks about the unstoppable sun and the fidelity of the sunrise, she's remembered of Jesus. And now my favorite, 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 favorite part. At the very end, if you take, I only did four. There's seven total. Uh, and if you take all seven of these titles, and you take the first letter of those titles, in Latin, they make an acrostic, meaning each letter stands for a word. And this word, when put together in Latin, makes a little phrase that means arrow cross. Luckily, we have a local Latin expert I can consult, Father Johnson, to figure out what that means. I, he might be a pig Latin expert, though. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> I Googled it anyway. Whatever. <laughs> Arrow cross. Arrow cross means I will be there tomorrow. Everyone, the second to last verse of the entire Bible in the second to last verse in the entire Bible, the book of Revelation, it says, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen, alleluia, come, Lord Jesus. And that is the prayer and the desire of the church in Advent. And it's the prayer and the desire of every one of these O antiphons, come, come. It's the ache, it's the longing, come, Jesus. As the church prays that this week, arrow cross, I will be there tomorrow. Jesus, Jesus' answer and his response is formed. To the prayer, come, Jesus says, I will be there tomorrow. And the last day of the O Antiphons is December 23rd. And so literally the next day, we celebrate the Christmas vigil and Jesus comes. Everyone, if I have one encouragement for you, let this desire. Let this prayer of the Church of Advent, and especially this week, this ache, this longing, this desire for Jesus, let it envelop your heart and mind too. This is the week to ask. To ask Jesus for whatever. And let nothing limit what you ask of him. In what you desire of him. And let nothing limit your desire for him in particular and not just what he can give. 
This is the week where we desire and ask for Jesus. In his faithful, unfailing response comes, I will be there tomorrow.